Hey, take your Bible this morning and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Galatians chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors unto the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The title of this message this morning, simply, All in the Plan of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours to meet together here this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incarnation of your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray as look into your word today that we'd be encouraged and challenged strengthened, and Lord, if there be any in our midst who are lost and undone, condemned by the law of God, that the Spirit of God today would arrest their hearts, bring conviction and repentance, that they might be set free from the penalty of sin. Glorify yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Since Nathan has become a contractor, you know, it used to be he worked for me, and now I sort of work for him. And he takes care of, you know, getting all the jobs and making up the plans and, and, and all that. And don't tell him this, but he's more advanced in a lot of these things than I was. But anyway, so now every once in a while I'll, I'll, I'll get to this job and I'll say, so what are we doing? And you know what he does? He goes over to the truck and he gets out this tube that has plans in it. He says, we're doing this, this, and you know, you see here, and uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I understand every bit of it. <laughs> Most of it. But it's all in the plans. Now, the redemption of man through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was all in the plan of God. Nothing was done like, oh, oops, now what are we going to do? It wasn't just thrown together or he had to have an alternative plan. It was all in the plan of God. So as we consider this passage here this morning, I want to consider, first of all, the persons of the plan, the perfection of the plan, and the prescription of the plan. First of all, the persons of the plan, and there are four uh, identified here in this passage uh, of this plan. The persons, first of all, you have God the Father. In verse 4 it says, and when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. See, God sent his son. In, in the gospel of John alone, in John chapter 5, we're going to read quite a few verses here in the Gospel of John. But in John chapter 5, in verse 23, the Bible says that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verse 30, 
I can of mine own self do nothing, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Verse 36, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works I do, bear witness of me, that the Father hath sent me. Verse 37, The Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me, Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And then in chapter 6, verse 44, chapter 6 and verse 44 again, No man can come to the Father, except, uh, can come to me, except the Father with has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then again, verse 57, As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. And then in chapter 8, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 29. And he has sent me, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And John chapter 10, verse 36. Again, say ye of him who the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, that blasphemous, because I said, I am the Son of God. And then in John chapter 17, and verse 25. John seventeen twenty five, O righteous Father, the world hath known thee, hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. See, God, the Father, sent the Son. And again, this wasn't something that was just, well, there was a need, or you know, some so, so many times that you know things that we do because of a certain situation arises, then we alter our plans. Now this was God's plan from the beginning of time. 1 Peter 1.20 says, who, was, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So it, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world that God would send his son into the world. He was just manifest to us or made known to us. Revelation 13.8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth and shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In Acts 2 and verse 30, 23, when Peter was preaching to uh, the children of Israel on the day of Pentecost, he said this, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You see, God planned from eternity past to send his son into the world. But it was just manifest uh, to us in these last days. So we have God the Father. We have also God the Son. Uh, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Uh, God sent his son. And of course the son came into the world. It was, it was God the Son who came into the world. And he came to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for the many. You know, Jesus said in John 4, 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Uh, John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 8, 28, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. 
And you know, one of the most amazing verses to me is John 10, 18, where he says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. See, God the Son willingly came into the world. Now, I'll give you a little more thoughts about that in the afternoon message, what that really meant to God the Son in humbling himself become a man. So we have God the Father, we have God the Son, we also have a woman. In verse 4 it says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law. Made of a woman. Not just any woman, but a woman. In Genesis 3.15, we have the gospel, you might say, some call it in seed, seed form, where it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So it tells us there, that gives us an idea that the, the Savior, or the Son of God, is going to come through the means of a woman. Well, again, it wasn't just any woman. Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this was, a, this was a particular, you might say, or a special woman. Not that no other woman could be like this one, but not just any woman would do. Look at Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, when the angel addressed Mary, and it was Gabriel, in verse 26 it says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was not a, as we would say, an uppity place. In fact, it was a lowly place. We'll see. But, verse 27, To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Go down to verse 30. And, it said, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel of the Lord departed from her. Now, why was Mary highly favored of God? Well, she was a virgin. And her response in verse 38 speaks volumes, where she says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Well, look also at verse 48. Verse 48. Notice, notice how she speaks of herself. Verse 48, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. He's regarded the lowest state. The, the, regard, the word regarded there means to look upon or have respect for. You see, the Lord had 
respect for Mary. It wasn't the fact that she was high class, because she was not high class. She was of peasant stock. She was not of the priestly line or the kings in Jerusalem or, or any of that nature, although she was. She was of the royal line of David. But, but she, was of a, she was a lowly maiden. She was of the poorer class of people. But it was her character that the Lord spoke of. He had respect for. Uh, verse 52 says, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Now it wasn't, and, and when she says low degree, she wasn't, it wasn't, you know, we would say, well, he's just low life. Speaking of they're just wicked, sinful people. No, she wasn't that. But she was of the poorer class in society. But she was holy in life. In her manner of living. And so this was, this was a particular woman. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, in a great house there are vessels of honor and some to dishonor. And if man uh, sanctify himself in these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, uh, meet, uh, for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. So uh, she was one of those vessels that had been sanctified herself. So we see God the Father, the person of God the Father, God the Son, we, that was also a woman. We also see another uh, uh, group of people here, and that is mankind. Notice verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. To redeem them that were under the law, notice that, what's the next word? We. We. In his plan, think about it, in his plan, God had you in mind. God had you in mind. When he, when he, when he planned the redemption of mankind, he had you in mind. He had you in mind. Luke 19 said, 10, the Lord said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. That's you. That's I. That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, part of the persons of this plan is you and I. We were in God's plan when he sent his son into the world. So we see the persons of the plan. I want you to know, secondly, the perfection of the plan. In verse 4 it says, but when the fullness of time was come. The fullness of time. The word fullness means full completeness. As we think about the fullness of time, we have the idea of an exact amount or the exact time or the proper time or the completeness of time. We would say it was perfect timing. That's how we would say it. Perfect timing. It's often been said, God's never late, but he's always on time. You know, we, we, we often think, well, wish he'd hurry up. God has a reason. 
And it was in the fullness of time. You know, as we look back on the timing of the birth of Christ, we would say it was it was good timing. Now, a couple, two things here I want to mention about, about this fullness of time. First of all, it was fulfilled time. It was it did fulfill the prophets, the prophecies. Daniel 9, 25 and 26 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, under the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. So Daniel prophesied of the time of that Christ would be cut off or crucified. So it was fulfilled time. If the Jews had studied the scriptures and left out of their studies all their traditions and self-interpretations of the prophets, they would have had to have known that Jesus was their Messiah. It was a fulfilled time. But not only was it fulfilled time, it was appropriate. For two reasons. Number one, at this time, there was a common language in the world. You know, as a result of the conquests of Alexander the Great, most of the known world spoke a common language. It was a trade language, Greek. Greek which, by the way, was an excellent language for the, the, the giving of the scriptures. Uh, so there was a common language. The second thing that there was at this time, there was a highway system. And this as a result of the Roman conquest. They built highways everywhere they conquered. And so travel was increased. And because of this, the word of God spread quickly all over the known world. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, 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 some of the history I was reading yesterday, the historians, that, that the gospel got to Britain by 44 A.D. Simon Zelotus, one of the disciples, first went to Britain in 44 A.D. He went again later around uh, in the late 50s, and, and, and he was martyred there in 61 A.D. It is also recorded that Joseph Arimathea took a group to Britain around 59 A.D. So as early as 44 A.D., the gospel had reached all the way to Britain. Why? Thank you, Romans, and their highways. And of course, not only did it go all the way to Britain, it went east to India. Andrew went to India. It went to Africa. You see, it went all over the world very, very quickly. So it was an appropriate time. 
God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. You know, sometimes we think we have it all together, but God knows what he's doing. He doesn't have to ever say, oops. He doesn't ever say, well, I could have done that better. Like you and I do. You know, sometimes Nathan looks at my work and says, Dad, you know, you could have. Uh... I used to say that to him. Sometimes I still do. <clears throat> but God never has to do that. His plan is always perfect. Then I want you to notice a third thing. Food smelling really good. Uh, there's a prescribed plan. Notice verse 5. And here's, here's the prescription. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. The prescribed plan of God is to provide a remedy to the separation between God and man because of sin. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, you know, Paul is using an allegory to illustrate being under the bondage being under bondage to the law. Uh, it's like a child being under tutors and governors. child under tutors and governors, though he may be royalty, has no rights. Has, have any more rights than a servant? Notice, notice verse 1 again. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were under bondage, in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, excuse me. You see, if we are under the bondage of the law, we're cursed. We're cursed. In chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the books of the law, book of the law to do them. So if we're under the law, we are cursed. We are condemned before a holy and righteous God. And, and so God, his prescription or his plan was here, to redeem us or to buy us back or to set us free from the curse of the law. Now, how is he going to do that? Well, his prescription is God the Son. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone that hangeth on the tree. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good. The law is holy. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with mankind. That's the problem. Man cannot keep God's law. He cannot measure up to God's standard, which is the law. So God said, didn't say, well, let's do away with the law. 
know, the law says that cursed is everyone that continues not in all things. And, and the, the, the penalty of the law is death. We're disobeying the law. No. He sent his son who fulfilled the law perfectly for you and I. Matthew 5.17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. You see, he was the fulfillment of the law. Uh, Romans Romans chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3 that we quoted this morning says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore, notice, by his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which is made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. So, he was promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures. And uh, in the, in the, the, the law and the prophets all prophesied of him, and spoke of him in types and shadows. Back in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances against us, which is contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day, these are all things to do with the law, or the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. You see, he fulfilled the law. The Old Testament spoke of him in types and in the shadows. First um, <clears throat> Corinthians fifteen twenty two says, "As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive." Adam was a type of Christ. As the days of Noah, so shall the come of the Son of Man be. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John three fourteen. Again, the serpent in the wilderness was a type of Christ, and, and, and which took the judgment of the children of Israel. Jonah was a type of Christ. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Isaac and think of Isaac and Rebecca um, in in Genesis twenty four. Abraham is a type of God. Isaac is a type of Christ. Both Isaac and Christ were children of promise. The birth of both was pre-announced. Both were named before they were born. The birth of both was contrary to nature. Sarah was barren and then had a child at 99 years old. Mary was a virgin and had a child. Both are called and only son. Both mocked and persecuted by their own kindred. Neither Isaac nor Christ had broken the law that they should be offered up. Isaac carried the wood in which he was to die, so Christ carried his own cross. And Isaac went willingly to the altar, so Christ went willingly to the cross. Both apparently given up or forsaken by his father, both rose from the place of death in resurrection. In both cases, God interposed. 
You know, if you read the Old Testament carefully, you'll see Jesus Christ all over the place. Go to the tabernacle. Look the tabernacle. And the, and the laws concerning the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle was a tent, as well as the dwellings of all the Israelites that wandered through the wilderness. And as such, it went through everything during the journey that the other tents did. It was, nevertheless, God's new, 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 unique dwelling place. So in Christ, who became a man and dwelt among us, experiencing the adversities and temptations that we experience. Yet in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Uh, and then the details of the furnishing of the tabernacle typify various phases and aspects of Christ's work on our behalf. The bronze altar is a type of Christ, our substitute and sacrifice. The laver is a type of Christ, our cleansing and regeneration. The candlestick is a type of Christ, the light of the world. The table of showbread is a type of Christ, the bread of life. The incense altar is a type of Christ, our intercessor and advocate. The mercy seat is a type of Christ, our propitiation, where he satisfied God on our behalf. You see, Christ, and Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. You know, he said to his enemies, which of you convinceth me of sin? Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> you see, God didn't void the law for you and I. He established it in the person of Christ. The law isn't voided. Romans 3, chapter, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and to justify him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Go to verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? That's a good question. God forbid, yea, we establish the law. C.I. Schofield said in his notes, quote, The sinner establishes the law in its right use and honor by confessing his guilt and acknowledging that by it he is justly condemned. Christ, on the sinner's behalf, establishes the law by enduring its penalty You see, you and I are guilty before the law of God. We're condemned by the law of God. And the law cannot be voided. And it is not voided. It's simply been paid for by another. It's been satisfied by another. And that's Jesus Christ. You see, God's plan was to provide a way that a 
sinful, wicked human being can have the righteousness of God and be restored to a relationship with a holy and righteous God. Can have his sin paid for. You know, the wages of sin is death. Eternal death. But the eternal one died. So we could have eternal life. But you know, like any other prescription, has to be received. You can go to the doctor if you're sick, got some ailment. You go to the doctor. Doctor says, yeah, you got this. You got pneumonia. You need to take this antibiotic. Okay, doc. Sure. And you leave the doctor's office and you don't do anything about it. Yeah, that's what a lot of people do with the Lord. They hear it, and they don't do anything with it. That is a choice. That is a choice. No, if you want to get well, you got to take that antibiotic to kill that infection. Much as I don't like taking medication, I would take the antibiotic to get rid of my infection. My alternative is, probably they'd be putting me in a box. Your alternative for rejecting God's prescription is they're going to put you in a box and it's, you're going to end up in hell. Because you are under the condemnation of the law. But Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Lewis Talbot said this, quote, Had the Jews of our Lord's day confined their studies to the Old Testament. Free from the traditions of men, they would have recognized their Messiah in a moment. If all men of this Christian era would only study the New Testament in light of the Old, they would look with wonder and awe upon the portrait of Christ in the Old Testament. For it is a true likeness of the suffering, risen, interceding, and reigning Lord Jesus. Unquote. You see, if you will study the scriptures without your own preconceived ideas and lay aside your emotions and your feelings and all that, you too will recognize and receive him as your Lord and Savior. There is adequate proof. Our own lives condemn us to the truths that we just read. My friend, God had you in mind. He had you and I in mind. This wasn't an afterthought. It was all in God's plan to redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive, think of it, the adoption of sons. I don't know about you, but that's kind of exciting. 
You know, if you, if you had the opportunity of being adopted into a millionaire's family, would that be enticing? You know, I went to work for a family when I was 21 years old. They were a family I knew of. Their son was my age. He was killed in a car accident. Then I went to work for them. And I always thought growing up, be nice. Living with them. I mean, they were the farmers that had money. And we were the ones that didn't. I mean, being adopted in that family would sounded really enticing. And it was nice. I enjoyed my work there. But you know what? That doesn't even compare to being adopted into the family of God. So have you, the question I have for you this morning is, have you received the prescription? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? He desires that you would come to the knowledge of the truth and receive him. It is his plan. It's not his plan that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So God had his plan to send his son into the world to redeem us. Is that redemption yours today? If not, it can be.